a few hours. Ferocious battles between mighty nations needed only a dozen actors and the audience's imagination, and the roles of female characters such as Cleopatra or the beautiful Helen of Troy were played by young boys. Even before seeing the play, the audience knew of Macbeth, the legendary king of 11th century Scotland, for his story had been told many times before Shakespeare wrote his version. And that story was far bloodier than anything they had seen on London Bridge that day. It was a story about regicide, the killing of the king, and about treason and murder, witches and ghosts, madness and suicide. The crowd knew the story, yes, but they could also be sure that Shakespeare would tell it in a fascinating and enthralling new way. Some of the crowd may have wondered if perhaps Shakespeare and his acting company were taking a risk in performing the story of Macbeth in the first place. After all, the historical Macbeth was believed to have fought against King James' own ancestors, the line of kings that led from the great Banquo all the way down to James himself. And James was very proud of his ancestors, this long line of kings that gave a sense of stability to his own reign. It was potentially dangerous to perform a play that had anything to do with the royal family because the audience could be powerfully influenced by what they saw on stage. Only five years earlier, the Earl of Essex began a plot to overthrow King James' predecessor, Queen Elizabeth. On the day he entered London with his forces, he also hired several acting companies to perform Richard II, another play by Shakespeare, in which the king is forced to hand his crown over to the usurper Bolingbroke. Essex hoped that many people would see this play and then join his own uprising against the Queen. The Essex rebellion failed, and within days the Earl himself had suffered the same fate as those whose heads were perched on London Bridge. But since Macbeth is scheduled to be performed today, it must have somehow passed the censorship of King James and his council. As the crowd reaches the other side of the river, a new spirit of adventure, even danger, comes upon them, for now they are outside the city limits, and consequently outside the jurisdiction of the Puritan authorities who govern London. The recently acquired wealth and power of the Puritans came from business and trading, unlike the king and nobility whose fortunes depended on property and inheritance. The Puritans were extremely moralistic and considered the theatre an evil form of entertainment. They often found themselves in conflict with the court since the king enjoyed the many plays, ceremonies and pageants performed at the palace. The Puritans objected to the theatre for a number of reasons. They thought it provided immoral examples to the audience. They felt it took away time from work and worship, and they were deeply uncomfortable with the idea that anyone could put on a costume and pretend to be someone he was not. It was particularly upsetting to the Puritan way of thinking that boys played the female roles in the plays. After all, what kind of confusion and disorder would follow if people could not tell the difference between men and women? The puritanical city authorities had therefore forced the theatres to move across the river, just outside the city limits, far enough away to allow the playwrights and actors some freedom to criticise or satirise London society and politics. Acting companies always had to worry about the king's censors, but even so, the audience heading to the plays knew that something different and a little daring awaited them inside the large wooden structure known as the Globe Theatre. 
before lining up to pay admission to enter the globe. Part of the crowd is lured away by a man announcing the start of a bear-baiting in the theatre down the street. Many people in line need to make a quick decision. Should they see Shakespeare's new tragedy, or watch the exciting and bloody battle between a powerful bear chained by his neck to a stake, and a pack of vicious, hungry dogs? Usually, in these popular contests, the bear would finally be worn down and killed by his attackers, but occasionally the bear would show such courage and strength that his life would be spared, especially if he won the sympathy of the cheering audience. But today most of the crowd is not tempted away, and they enter the globe beneath the familiar sign, All the World's a Stage. For just a penny, many people, mostly labourers and servants, are able to stand directly in front of the stage, in the section known as the pit, their heads are about the same level as the stage, and since there is no railing or curtain separating the stage from the audience, it almost appears as if the stage flows right into the crowd. The most expensive of the almost 3,000 seats in the theatre are purchased in the rows that form a semicircle around the stage, like an arena, all the way up to the special box seats reserved for the aristocrats. The seating arrangements seem to provide a model of the social order, rich people on top, pour down below. The crowd is loud and restless, perhaps shouting at one another across the theatre, perhaps spilling beer or cracking hazelnuts, or maybe gambling with dice or cards until the play begins. Then, without any introduction or warning, three old witches, hunched over with wrinkled faces and ragged beards, dressed in tattered old clothes, emerge from a door and shuffle out to the front of the empty stage to address the noisy throng. Shakespeare's Macbeth has begun.